Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Oh, what a week. <laughs> Are we starting every episode like that? Okay, fine. I'll start with some good news. How's that? Okay. We, after after over a decade of trying, have finally managed to convince one of our dear listeners, Glenn Murray, <laughs> of the value of direct action. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken some time, but we we brought him to the light. Everybody, we did it. Yeah. <sighs> Do you see that? <laughs> I will eat my I will eat my hat when that guy occupies something. Okay, I will literally on camera eat a fucking hat. For those of you who don't, because I don't believe it. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Glenn Murray. Uh, Fucking! I mean, what do we even call him? Do I call him a liberal politician, a Green Party politician? Do I call him a former, <laughs> like NDP politician? Do I call him a former municipal politician? He's just he's he's been around. Okay, he's, a, he's been he, around. He's, <laughs> he's been around. I I don't know that he's tried the conservatives yet, but you know the fucking you know the year. There's still time in 2020 to do more unexpected things, <laughs> and so Glenn Murray who um, Nora and I uh, have a particular storied history with uh, as when because we used to work in the student movement and Glenn Murray used to be the minister in charge of colleges and universities in Ontario. Anyway, we had many an argument with this man about many an approach that one could take uh, to post-secondary education. Um, and uh, he was always dismissive of our approach and, you know, uh, dismissed us our... Uh, ideas to youthfulness and naivete that he understood because he was once <laughs> like us. In any case, uh, he very recently tweeted that he has come to realize that the only way we will be able to effectively deal with the climate crisis, something to that effect, is through protest and demonstration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In direct action and it's just it's just you know it's just i've been saying i told you so to glenn for a really long time someone someone um uh, sent me a note on facebook being like you could finally say i told you so but no no, no. i i've been saying i told you so <laughs> to this guy <laughs> for a very long time and i just uh feel great that i can continue continue that that great tradition that we have <laughs> Yeah, the problem, of course, uh, is that it's too bad he didn't realize that uh, he could have done civil disobedience while he had security clearance with the government of Ontario. (laughs) Guy was a cabinet minister. I mean, come on. Now, we have a lot of housekeeping to do in this episode to start. And so the first thing I want to just let everybody know is mark your calendars November 20th, Sandy and I are going to be doing a live show with the Vancouver Podcast Festival. That's right. I got to say, it's a bit bittersweet because, Sandy, I would love to do a live show with you in Vancouver. That would be pretty cool. But... I guess what we got. But I guess we're going to be over Zoom, so we'll actually be able to see each other. Because you probably don't know this, but we don't see each other when we record. <laughs> yeah. We stopped doing that after the first episode, I think. <laughs> um, uh, but so it, we'll see. Maybe maybe it'll be better somehow. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if that changes the dynamic. Yeah. Probably not. 
maybe we can actually just surprise everybody and play our uh, long uh, anticipated game of Scrabble. Ooh. <laughs> Could you imagine? They were like, that's not what we had in mind. They were like, doesn't matter. (laughs) This is what you got. (laughs) 50 point bonus. Ha ha. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. Um, So that is November 20th. It's a Friday night. Uh, It is uh, six o'clock Pacific time, nine o'clock Eastern, 1030 for folks in St. John's. Sorry about that. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to come out and also check out the other great programming because it's all uh, online this year. So that's really the nice thing about this is that these kinds of festivals can bring their programming to to the people. Um, but we have some other announcements as well. So saw on Twitter that uh, Amy Norman or at Amy Beatrice is launching a design that will go to directly uh, uh, a design for these bags that uh, if purchased will go uh, in the next month, will go directly to Mi'kmaq fishers and supporters currently fighting for treaty treaty rights. Uh, and so we've decided that we're going to purchase 50 of these bags uh, to, to give to listeners who uh, send us an email um, with their address and letting us know that they want it. So we'll, and then we'll just uh, get those delivered directly to your home so it has to be in the next month uh and you can email sandy and nora at protonmail.com and we will put a link to what the design looks like uh in the event that you want to purchase more or share it with your friends um in the show notes yeah and i cannot stress enough the last time we did a competition uh some of you folks didn't listen to our uh instructions your address has to be there with 50 of these. We can't track everyone's address down. So make sure if you're entering the contest, you are entering your address correctly. And we will um, go with those first 50 folks that respond. Yeah. One more announcement. Uh, this week, I'm launching my book, Take Back the Fight, Organizing Feminism in the Digital Age. And I, you know, because I can't really have launches, I'm going to have a couple of local launches where I talk about the politics in a more kind of specific way. But I've decided to do like probably the worst thing. I I talked a little bit about it last week and now it's like, you know, for sure I've got literally the Prosecco's in my fridge already. Um, I'm going to have a 5.5 hour open house so everybody can drop in at like three o'clock your local time to say hey. The idea isn't that you stay for all 5.5 hours and hopefully we'll be able to like just meet each other and talk and and hang out a little bit and and it all the information for RSVPing I'll put it into the show notes but you can also check it out at noraloretto.ca and right now my publisher Fernwood has a sale that's on right now where you can get 20% off of your books that you purchase from Fernwood. So you can buy my book. There's a lot of other really great books too. And they will send another 20% off, another 20% of the book price to the Solidarity Support Funds for folks in Mi'kmaq who are resisting uh, the racism and uh, supporting lobster fishers, which um, is going to be the bulk of what we talk about in today's show so more information you can find at fernwood's um twitter handle fern pub and you can dm me if you've really got any questions about how to support this really great fundraiser but also kind of a cool way to get my book and get other folks books too pam palmeter has a book coming out as well this season with with uh, fernwood so you can get pam's book instead of mine uh, or both (laughs) so great opportunity to do that right now and I plan to be there for five hours. <laughs> yes. We are going to talk about American constitutional law. We oh, have God. some folks. 
<laughs> we have some folks to thank. So without further waiting for this, I want to thank JJ, Imad, Catherine, Kiptuff, G, Andrew, Brian, Ariana, Catherine, Daniel, and Astra. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you, everybody who supports this podcast by sharing it, by telling us that you love it. And also, my God, Sandy, I don't know if you get these messages, but I've been getting so many messages from people who are like really having their political worldviews changed by the way that we talk about politics. I mean, I'm terrible at checking any message service (laughs) that I've been connected to (laughs) on the Internet. So I only know these things through you. And that warms my heart. That warms my heart. Yeah. Well, great. Let's talk about some more politics. (laughs) Well, we have a couple of issues we want to talk about before uh, we get to the main topic. I know, Sandy, you've had some internet fighting going on with people about your support for the British Columbia Green Party. Is that it? Jesus. What? Okay, look. (laughs) We we are not going to talk about the British Columbia elections. I'm sorry. I know. I know that we should. But here's the deal. Okay. So like I was like I'm getting into this. I'm going to I'm going to fucking watch the debates. I turned it on and I've never been so bored in my life. <laughs> just look, <laughs> it's uh you know the if the polling is to be believed it's going to be a landslide for the NDP and wow, there's a there's a lot of really intense issues to be discussed that uh, are being discussed in the most boring of ways. Like there are a lot of really bold ideas <laughs> that could be presented and they're not. So I, you know, that's what's happening in BC. I don't know. Am I being unfair? Is that accurate? What do you think, Nora? Uh, well, there's another election going on too in Saskatchewan. And so maybe we just have to compare these two as to see which is more interesting or not. Um We, every week when we decide what we talk about, like, it's really hard. There's so much going on and we have an audience. I know we've got a lot of listeners both in Saskatchewan and we've got, you know, listeners in British Columbia. Um, But uh, we just have not been able to talk about what's going on. Partly, I do think that you're right. It's a little bit boring. Now, what might be interesting is for us to maybe do a postmortem after everything and to talk about some of the ways that the promises shook down. I know... John Horgan was criticized for pulling out his, like, I'm colorblind comment, which I guess he, like, literally is. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why he thought that was a way to say it. I know. I I had a media request for that. Like, someone was like, we we want your response, Sandy. How do you feel about John Horgan saying that he's colorblind? And I was like, could this be any more boring? (laughs) I just, (laughs) what year is it? Oh, my God. I didn't do it. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's a really good opportunity to remind everybody that, like, like yes, we want politicians, white politicians, to identify that things like systemic racism exist and that they do see color and racism and, and how these things, like, you know, operate within society. But there is also, like a reason to not focus on that because who the fuck cares if someone who is a racist like Donald Trump identifies as systemic racism exists uh, or Francois Legault or, or whatever. So yeah, there, we have to be measured in how much attention we, we tie to this stuff. And unfortunately the press finds this stuff super exciting and super interesting, which is where you're going to start to see that get like really whipped up with not much context, unfortunately. So I guess that's our deep dive into the BC election. Yeah, comparable to like uh, just to to 
um, put another example to your point, what everyone would have seen um, uh, who's listening to Canadian media, because Canadian media only cares about the U.S., uh, um, asking Donald Trump to um, disavow white supremacy. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. So I'm asking him yeah. to do that. He like is a white supremacist who gives a shit if the the words coming out of his mouth are I disavow white supremacy. Like, ooh, who cares if he doesn't say it? Ooh, like we already know. Like he's there's a body of actions that he's taken that have already told us uh, what we need to know about that. Don't need to ask many fucking questions about it. It's all rhetoric. Anyway, yes. More importantly, like a, an issue that that we I think it's really critical for us to to take um, some a little bit of time to make sure that our listeners understand because it is nuanced um, is um, this issue of, of something that's happened in Ontario, which is that the government has repealed a regulation that. Uh, that requires when hiring new teachers uh, to to hire through seniority. And I tweeted about how that's, you know, um, anti-union bullshit and uh, got a lot of um, engagement um, actually in the messages. So I do I do check my messages sometimes <laughs> uh, from from people who have some hmm. uh, some response to that, which are. Uh, which I totally understand about how this is related to racism. So I want to, I, I still think it's anti-union bullshit, but I do want to, to discuss how racist bullshit that uh, unions pull <laughs> can make something like this seem appealing uh, to certain demographics within the union. So do you know what I'm talking about here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like the the way that uh, unions operate is to protect their members from unfair treatment from management. And when it comes to seniority, the reason why they have protected seniority over the years is because a teacher who is older usually makes more money. And if they could just fire older teachers because it would save more money, it would create a crisis among people who are too young to retire, pr- definitely too old to retrain, uh, probably unable to find a job anywhere else in other school boards because all the school boards are doing the same kind of thing. And it's like after, you know, you've given 25, 30, 35 years of your life to be able to be fired just because uh, there's no protection of seniority anymore. But, you know, it, it really poses a giant problem for people who are later in their lives and later in career. And so, it, you know, over the years, the way that this has played out is that often younger teachers, especially teachers who are starting their careers, feel like they're shut out from these positions because these older teachers or, you know, you can any field nurses or any industry that has um, that has seniority, it, it can it can feel like you just can't get in the door because there's all these older workers. But the reality is, is that older workers are actually more vulnerable and they if we got rid of that seniority, anybody who knows the industry really well and who has the the ability to navigate the system, fight for change, be a trouble, uh, be troublemakers to uh, management, they all of a sudden risk being 
fired or let go easier because they're like, oh, no, we just have to hire some young people. So it's it's one of these things that that it requires intergenerational solidarity. Um, and a lot of times older workers don't really do that work to make sure that younger workers understand why seniority exists and how the younger workers will also benefit from it, you know, once they are in the system. One of the other reasons why seniority is so important to unions, because this extends beyond, um, you know, teachers unions. This is something that uh, is uh, important in most unions. One of the other reasons why seniority is so important is it's because it's it's one of the mechanisms uh, that the union uses to ensure that the that management is treating workers uh, fairly, not just for um, the way that they produce work. They're not just treating their workers as workers, but as humans, right? It's not all just based off of of merit. It's based off of you know the the time that you spend at the union, but also and this is really important. If someone becomes, quote unquote, a troublemaker worker, someone who is maybe speaking out too much or someone who maybe um, is is using a lot of resources uh, to uh, um, to take care of a health issue. Right. And is not productive in the way that management management would like that worker to be productive they still must hire from seniority. That person is still valued because they are a human being in addition to a worker. They are not just a worker. They are a human being. So it protects people um, also from uh, from um, retaliation from management when they don't produce in the ways that management would want them to. And it protects people uh, from retaliation if they are speaking out about uh, things that are happening on the job that they feel like they, they, they want to um, talk about. Otherwise, uh, without that type of protection, management could just be like, well, fuck you. You're more expensive. Uh, you don't produce the way that we want you to. And and you're trouble for me. I'll just hire someone new who doesn't have who isn't mired in any of that politic or doesn't have any of those issues. And so, so seniority is an important uh, mechanism to ensure that we're treating workers not just as um, as tools of production for management, but as human beings who are valuable and whose whose contributions are valuable because they're human beings. That being said, <laughs> seniority uh, can be um, a mechanism for other things, and namely, what I'm talking about here is uh, is racism. Like, look. Because of the ways that unions were created and because of the industries that unions were created in and um, the historic shutting out of certain um, of certain uh, demographics, you know, the, the when when you build in something like seniority, it's going to protect the workers that were already there. And <laughs> so um, that is in effect right now in Ontario. So most of the teachers who are, are hired, uh, are white, are not from uh, younger, racialized, um, indigenous uh, communities because of the ways that people are also uh, shut out of post-secondary education. It becomes or have historically been shut out of uh, post-secondary education and the inroads that have been made um, lately to that. Uh, that means that there is more and uh, changes to immigration, changes to the demographics of Canada altogether. That means that there is a more diverse pot of people who are looking for an appointment uh, to be a teacher. But unions sometimes use seniority 
as a way to um, to to justify not doing the work uh, to create other pathways to diversify uh, the union membership. So uh, there will be excuses as to to why um, uh, indigenous teachers can't be hired um, who who speak an indigenous language, for example, in the classroom. I can't hire that person uh, because of seniority. And the union will sometimes support these things. Um, or, you know, we can't hire this person who has a specialized knowledge in um, black education in an area of, uh, of Ontario that has a particularly large um, black community uh, because of seniority. We have to hire from the seniority pool and these uh, white uh, white teachers who don't have these um, uh, these speci- these types of specialized knowledge um, knowledges uh, um, don't get considered and and unions some like rely on that and don't do the work necessary to create different pathways during bargaining for these types of workers uh, to to have a way in. Okay, and so I, you know, I worked at a union at York University that represented uh, sessional lecturers uh, and uh, and TAs and RAs at York University, and uh, this was a a, 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 a a an issue that was always fraught there as well, but we did work into the collective agreement different pathways. Uh, for teachers who had particular types of knowledge to be um, hired in addition to to the seniority clause. So there were two different ways that people could be considered to be hired. And that is the responsibility of the union to do something like that. So now what has happened is that the government has removed this, removed seniority altogether for the teachers and people some people uh, are are seeing this as something promising because they think, gosh, this regulation has been used to push me out for so long. Like, finally, um, unions won't be able to rely on this uh, and principals won't be able to rely on this regulation to say that you haven't been hired uh, or we can't push for you to be hired uh, because of this. And unfortunately, that is not the reason why uh, the government is is making uh, this repeal and the failure of the union uh, to create different pathways uh, for for people to be hired um, uh, is I mean, I just I think that this is a it's a nuanced issue, but it's also it's going to have implications for other public sectors, because if it's successful here. And they get enough positive response here. They're going to try it in in other public services. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to understand, too, that like nothing that the Ford government is going to do in public education is good. (laughs) I mean, there's going to be some sort of catch, even if you think that maybe it will be beneficial. Um, I just want to point out, like, so we record on Sundays uh, this morning uh, St- uh, Stephen Lecce, who's the Minister of uh, of Education in Ontario, he tweeted pictures of himself visiting the convent, the Sisters of Mount Carmel. Uh, he went to drop them off uh, personal protective equipment. And at the end of the tweet, this has nothing to do with anything. I just have to say this because he might delete this. He wrote, I love my sisters, and then added two emojis of, like, the girl in, like, a bathing suit with cat ears. <laughs> 
Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just seeing it now. So anyway, Stephen Lecce, he's a dumbass. He's a dumbass. I mean, I would never say to a nun, I love my sisters. And then I have two of the emojis of the girl in a leotard wearing cat ears. Two of them right after that. And then pictures of all the fucking nuns that he's with. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. But all this is to say that... Um, yeah. Stephen Lecce. Yes. Big winner. <laughs> and all of this is to say that uh, while this this might perhaps have some, some, you know, like some people might see some positive effects, right? Like some people, um, specifically, I can imagine in the city of Toronto whose principals, uh, uh, some of these principals may have wanted to hire particular uh, from particular demographics feel like they can now. I do think across the province, um, you know, you're going to have some principals who don't want to hire from particular demographics and are going to feel free to continue to ignore hiring from those demographics. And later on, uh, when it comes to uh, the people who are being hired now who are racialized, uh, when they should be benefiting from seniority, they won't have the protection of seniority. And all of the things that Nora and I raised at the beginning of this discussion of the reasons why seniority exists will come into play. And that makes me quite nervous. We need seniority as protection, and we also need other protections for uh, racialized workers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So... I would say everybody's eyes now are turned towards Nova Scotia, Mi'kma'ki, the traditional territory, the current territory of the Mi'kmaq people, with what a lot of people have called uh, acts of terrorism uh, undertaken by white lobster fishers and, and other folks, probably just a bunch of racists where in the last week um, there have been assaults. Uh, the lobster processing facility uh, owned by Mi'kmaq fishers ha- was burnt to the ground. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's, I think, really important for us to highlight this. I mean, I'm sure everybody's paying attention to this. If you aren't, you really need to. If you're not reading local news, like uh, folks at Kukukwis, the um, independent Mi'kmaq journalism out there, and so you can check them out on uh, Twitter, uh, K-U-K-U-K-W-E-S. But it's, I'm... Like, I have been feeling, I'm sure you have been feeling, lots of people have been feeling, like, there's this this incredible tension that keeps building and building and building. And every single time, governments ignore it and ignore it and ignore it, and they continue to kick the can down the road. And then there's this kind of explosion of activity, and it feels like there's going to be some sort of moment of reckoning. And obviously, the last time that this happened uh, was in the winter uh, around Wet'suwet'en and their uh, campaign and, and work folks, the traditional leadership against uh, the coastal gas link. And so we're seeing something similar again. And the way that it's being talked about by politicians, by journalists, is so insufficient as usual. And so for the rest of the episode, we are going to be talking about what is going on there, what is going on in general in this country around access to natural resources, indigenous sovereignty and rights, uh, and what folks should be doing, I think, in solidarity um, where possible to make sure that we are holding people to account to 
respect treaty obligations, respect rule of law in some situations. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're reduced to sometimes. Uh, but also just to support in solidarity the folks who are being unbelievably viciously attacked. And it goes beyond assault. Like people were uh, forcibly confined and like basically kidnapped. Like it's it is like what is happening out there is like this uh, continuation of white supremacist uh, genocidal um, uh, tactics that is just really fucking indignified, atrocious. And the fact that the government can wait this long to say anything, right? Like, I think Justin Trudeau issued his first kind of um, uh, public statement about mm -hmm. it this week or maybe uh, late last week. Um, but this has been going on since the summer. Like, this isn't, this didn't just happen this week, you know? So I, I yeah, that makes me really frustrated. I'm also extremely frustrated about, <laughs> the way the way that uh, Justin Trudeau uh, responded and the government uh, officially responded, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, Bill Blair, they responded to say, "Man, like it's it's really fucked up, you know, out there that the RCMP uh, isn't taking control of the situation. So we're just going to deploy more RCMP out there to help with the with the situation, and hopefully we can get this whole thing under control. And it's like, no, the RCMP is there." They are watching everything that's happening and they are not responding because they too are a tool of genocide. And it is actually, it has never been their job uh, to do something to protect indigenous people. We can pretend, we can pretend that that's the case to make white supremacist Canada feel good about itself. But every time there's a confrontation such as this, the RCMP acts predictively and consistently to, uh, to, to support the white supremacists and to do nothing to protect uh, people who are indigenous. And so uh, I think uh, was it the RCMP uh, director out there? I don't I don't know exactly who it was. Who's a representative of the RCMP who also made a statement um, uh, saying, ah, you know, this is a difficult issue, and we see both sides of it. Like this is the statement that they're making as people who are purportedly supposed to um, be. Uh, making sure that this situation is safe. Of course, they're not going to be doing that. Of course, they are not going to be doing that. And it is why, you know, we have, uh, mm -hmm. we, Black Lives Matter, indigenous communities, black communities have been calling to defund the police. It's just, this is just one of the uh, manifestations of that. And still politicians refuse uh, to say anything about that. Um, but, you know, Justin Trudeau, Bill Blair, they're like, Gotcha. We're really upset about this whole situation. And so to support all the good people out there on the East Coast, we're sending more RCMP. That's not going to do shit. No. And it obviously potentially um, makes things worse. Right. Um, it it ra ratchets up the pressure. I, I, I want to step back and give like a very brief summary of what is happening there. In case you have not caught the news, this is a situation where you have Mi'kmaq lobster fishers, um, mostly connected with the community of Subiganagani. 
And they are, they are like in the vast minority of how many people fish in the southwest part off the coast of, of Nova Scotia. And they have the right to, to fish. They have the right uh, under, under treaty law signed in the 1700s and confirmed twice by the Supreme Court recently in the Donald Marshall decision, Marshall decision one, Marshall decision two. And it's also like side note, really wild that news this week around like where Donald Marshall's name has come up and then Guy Paul Moran's name is up and David Milgard, those were the, the three men who in the 1980s were wrongfully com- convicted of murder and spent lots of time in jail. Donald Marshall was one of them. Guy Paul Moran was just exonerated this past week when the real killer of the person he was convicted of um, of having killed just was discovered by Toronto police, you know, 30 years later or whatever. So really wild confluence of news that's happened, happened this past week. But the Marshall decisions say that the Mi'kmaq fishers have the right to fish uh, and that, that the, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans Canada and the Canadian government have never negotiated then with the, 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 the folks there about what constitutes like uh, a moderate living, which is the way that the Supreme Court says that they have a right to have moderate living. And so that's never been sorted out. Mi'kmaq fishers have been, you know, uh, putting in lobster traps into the water. And then white fishers who have like hundreds and thousands of traps that they normally can't fish this time of year, if I understand correctly what's going on. They're like, what the fuck? Why are they fishing? And we're all raging fucking racists. And so then they've inserted themselves being like, this is an issue of fairness and conservation. And the Mi'kmaq fishers are not respecting conservation and fairness. And unfortunately, that's been like the message that a lot of journalists have picked up on, that this is a a two sides issue, that this is, um, you know, the the current went to like the the president of of the fishing union first, and then to a representative of the community to talk about like their position quote unquote and it's like this like the the only place in the conversation that the white lobster fishers have is how fucking violent and racist and shitty they're they are and they're being and then what is the solution to stopping people from being shitty violent and racist on one that's the one side and then of course the other question is why has the federal government been so negligent to 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 finally follow up these Supreme Court decisions to not identify with the Mi'kmaq people what this means like logistically. And instead it tum- tumbles into the, the, the vid of like, oh, well, then like what is subsistence fishing? What's a moderate living of fishing? Meanwhile, you've got companies like Clearwater that makes hundreds of millions of dollars and their owners worth billions of dollars who's fishing the fuck out of like off the coast of Nova Scotia and 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 shipping that around the world and it's the guys who are making them money who are like burning down the well I'm not saying that they work for Clearwater anyway (laughs) the folks that are making other people tons of money uh over over maybe overfishing fishing a lot let's say uh, are the ones that are then now terrorizing the Mi'kmaq fishers. It's just so disgusting and so indicative of how Canada is fucked. And it is it just drives me completely up the wall to, 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 to see this stuff play itself over and over and over in all of these issues across Canada, whether it's pipelines, whether it's Trans Mountain, where five people were just arrested by the RCMP. It's like, oh, they're able to arrest people sometimes. Yep. Yep. They absolutely the fuck are. God, it, I mean, it is uh, really stark to see the the two coasts, like what's happening on the two coasts and the, the RCMP responses on each side. Have you seen what the NDP has put out in response? I did. I saw that Jugmeet uh, called it terrorism. 
uh, and that they stand with the Mi'kmaq people, I believe. Mm-hmm. I did not see action items. <laughs> They're calling for an emergency debate in the House, which is... That'll go well. To me, like, I just, I don't, I I don't know what's going on at the NDP when they see um, these these types of uh, atrocities that have been affecting uh, Indigenous and Black people in our community. Like, you... You could you could literally call for anything. You could call for anything that you wanted. Um, you could call for uh, the the government to fucking put a stop to white supremacist violence. Come up with a plan to um, to decolonize to uh, for land back for uh, as as a policy. What it could look like, whatever. You could call for whatever you wanted, mm. and you called for a debate. I just. Like you have all of this power. You have all of this power right now. All of this power. And uh, to use that power to say uh, we want to have a discussion with people who we know um, will refuse to do anything seems like the wrong approach to me. I don't know. I just I feel like if I was in that position, I would (laughs) I would certainly not be calling for a debate in the House. It's like, I really want to hear what the conservatives in the block have to say about this. <laughs> like, Yeah, you know, I just, I, like, the idea that the, the problem is that there hasn't been enough discussion and that we, we haven't figured out, like, through, uh, through public uh, uh, discussion what the right way forward is, is just, it just feels so, I just don't know who would come up with something like that. <laughs> looking looking oh i do well, i do yeah. <laughs> i know exactly who did <laughs> i mean just looking at what's happening the the response like for fuck's sake if this was happening to white communities you would absolutely not be calling for a debate you would not be calling for a debate if this was happening to white communities, you would not be calling for, oh, let's just deploy some more RCMP months after this whole crisis had started. This, if this was happening to corporations, you wouldn't be doing these things. Like we have seen mm. the type of engagement that the government will push for uh, to protect corporate rights to uh to do whatever the fuck they want to to ruin land and to ruin natural resources and to 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 go forward unfettered into destroying uh indigenous communities <sighs> like at, at what point at what point like how do you how do you look at yourself knowing that what is happening is genocidal violence and don't tell me that they don't know that they do how do you how do they look at themselves and this be the only thing that they Mm. have to offer it's absolutely unacceptable i don't fucking understand it somebody tell me what it is are the votes from the white supremacists so important that they can't alienate them is that is that the logic is that what's happening when they're making these sorts of decisions because it's the only thing that i can imagine like this is this is absolutely unacceptable. And I just, gosh, it just makes me so frustrated. Yeah, I, I think the problem is that there's a crisis, there's an existential crisis on the left, let's say in partisan politics. Uh, and, and, and the NDP is so plagued by this where they really cannot 
go further than um, than platitudes when talking about Indigenous sovereignty, because Indigenous sovereignty threatens the existence of Canada, right? Like Canada, it's because Canada exists that this is happening. Like it's because Canada exists that folks at Landback Lane in uh, in um, in Ontario in Six Nations are being arrested by the OPP on their own land. It's because of the existence of Canada. It's because of the existence of Canada that the Anishinaabe communities, the Kitigan Zibi and Barrier Lake are fighting to not have moose hunting in their territory, to try and protect the moose populations. And in response, hunters, white hunters, have been shooting the welcome sign of Kitigan Zibi as a like obvious tactic to scare and intimidate and frighten people. And, you know, when I like when I saw the tweet from the NDP saying this is terrorism, I could hear them being like, yes, we are going to be bold and we are going to name this for what this is. This is terrorism. And it's like this is only terrorism in the context of the tactics that they are choosing, right? Waiting to the cover of night, violence, burning people down. That's a terrorist tactic. But this is not terrorism. This is genocide and white supremacy. Yeah, It's the same genocide and white supremacy that supports pipelines, that chokes indigenous commerce, that says to indigenous communities, well, we can't trust you to protect your salmon stocks while salmon like sea lice is killing all of this fish farm salmon. And the Department of Fisheries and Oceans are telling indigenous communities on both sides of Canada that that no, their scientists say that this is fine, even though the indigenous communities are like, we know how to care for salmon stocks off. They're not saying fuck off. I'm editorializing. That is white supremacy. It's genocide. And to like the NDP, the left, like folks who are liberals as well, like like well-meaning liberals. Fuck, I don't even know. I've seen some well-meaning conservatives going, oh, my God, what's happening out in Nova Scotia is horrifying. This is white supremacy and it is genocide. And it is directly linked to all of the struggles that keep happening that are always happening it's linked directly to the fact that there are more children in in care today than than there were at the height of residential schools in Canada we are living living colonialism in this country and the federal government knows very well that they don't have to take this seriously because they do not feel enough pressure and the folks like Adam Vaughn who are who are tweeting that their support for the lobster, for the Mi'kmaq fishers, it's like, okay, that's great. And you better be fucking setting a fire under the asses of your colleagues in caucus. Yeah. Because, like, Carolyn Bennett needs to be removed. She's not qualified to fucking walk across the street, let alone do any of this stuff. Uh, and 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 this and the federal government needs to, to actually take this seriously. Uh, or they need to feel uh, a lot of physical and emotional pain. <laughs> from Canadians because we can't in good conscience let this continue yeah people have gotten far too comfortable with just saying man I really um I really uh, disagree with this and how how terrible is this and you know we live in a world where um the existence of things like Twitter and Facebook allow politicians to say like I feel bad about this and I um remove myself uh from this going on this going on but look you know people like adam vaughn and even people like uh, jagmeet singh like you are partially responsible for this 
And I say this knowing that uh, there are people who work for these people who listen or that they themselves listen. Like, look, you are partially responsible for this because you are in government. So it's not good enough for you to just say, uh, hey, uh, I, I am apart from this. I see myself apart from this. You have to do more. You must do more. And if it is against the rules for the way that your party is whipped, that's a decision you actually have to make. That is a decision. Okay. Mm-hmm. There is a genocide happening. Okay. There, these are genocidal tactics that are continuing um, uh, on uh, at, on the East Coast right now to the Sabaganagari community and to the Mi'kmaq community. Like you, you must make the choice if you are actually going to stand apart from what's happening and your government isn't doing enough or your caucus isn't doing enough, then you must do more. You have to. You have to break the rules if that's what it comes down to. That's what this sort of fight takes. And for those of you who are listeners who are thinking to yourself, I too want to stand apart. I want to do more. Um, And all I've been doing is watching the news and I don't know how else I I can support Nora and I will put some resources and people to follow in the show notes who have been um, uh, uh, telling folks who are listening, who are watching the types of actions that they can take uh, to support that would be helpful to support people out on the ground. Because I'm not just talking about the government, although they have another level of power in which they are absolutely they have the responsibility to, to take some sort of action. We all have to take some sort of action. We all do on all of these issues that we talk about, but especially this issue, especially this issue of of genocide and colonization. This is where we live, okay? It is crucial for us to take action that is beyond fucking platitudes and beyond fucking retweets. We have to do more. And so we'll we'll put those uh, resources out. We'll put uh, some folks that folks can uh, follow uh, to get more information about what else they can do. Organize solidarity events in your own community. Um, Educate people where you're organized. We all have to do more. It's not good enough to just say, I don't see myself as a part of this. Because if you are not actively acting against it, then you are fucking a part of it. So don't forget, I mean, our small, small, small contribution to this, we're going to give away 50 tote bags. Um, You can check out the design, the designer. Uh, The money's all going to go to solidarity support to the community. So uh, to enter that, it'll be the first 50 folks. Um, And so just send us your name. Send us uh, your address. And, you know, if you enter, and I hope you do, um, think about, what you can do in your in your local community, whether that's a solidarity action with folks in Sibeganogadi, or if that's supporting something closer to you, like folks at Kitaganzibi, like Landback Lane, wh- wherever you are, wherever you are in this country, there is a solidarity action you can take with Indigenous people close to you, uh, or you can take action with people who are not close to you. So if you enter the 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 the, the contest, although it's not really a contest, uh, we do really really hope that you will take action in some way as well in your real life.